Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you didn't draw a hunt this year, don't worry. There are still ways to get a tag and get out in the field. Not only are there leftover and OTC opportunities, but if you join GoHunt.com Insider with promo code JSCOTT by August 31st, 2021, you're also going to be entered to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. You also are going to get 10 entries into GoHunt's Big Summer of Elk giveaway where you could win a 2022 New Mexico elk hunt and $15,000 in hunting gear. Go Hunt Insider is the one platform for finding great hunts, researching new units, e-scouting, and planning your hunt. Now, an added incredible value at no extra cost are desktop maps and maps available on iPhone and Android. Again, this is no extra cost. It's part of being an Insider member. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Sign up at GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and get a $50 GoHunt GearShop gift card just by using the JSCOT promo code. And also, don't forget, you're going to be entered into a drawing to win $1,500 worth of Kuyu gear. I also want to thank the Gear Shop at GoHunt.com and Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, the glassing guru. Don't forget, if you order on GoHunt.com or you call or text Cody at 602-399-3699, you're going to get a 10% discount by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also call the shop directly at 702-847-8747 or email at optics at GoHunt.com. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for sponsoring this podcast. That is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. You can go to KUIU.com to order directly off the website. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They make the best hunting gear on the market today. Also, Phonescope.com. Use the JSCOT21 promo code. You're going to get a 10% off on all orders at Phonescope.com. Guys, thanks for listening, and let's get right to this episode. It's great to have you, buddy. We've been friends. We met in 1997, um, and I want you to tell kind of a story uh, about how we met. You had a 3C tag, and I think the first time we met, uh, I was broken down on the side of the road, if I remember, and you came firing up, and I think you had just killed that big giant bull, 407 or 412. 412, yeah, 412 and 7, and he was, uh, we were running to town, I think, and you were off the side of the road, and we pulled over to see if you needed help, and I think, as I remember, you were working on your brakes or something. It was. <laughs> I think it, I just hopped in with you guys. <laughs> I think I just shut the door, left the keys in it, and hopped in with you guys, and we went to town and had, had breakfast or something. Yeah, yeah. And you, you ran around with us. You actually filmed Michael's bull. When Michael shot his bull, you filmed it. And uh, I remember when we were calling bulls in for Michael in 3C, one after another, the bulls were coming in. And I was throwing rocks at them and running them off. And Michael was getting so mad at me. It's like, Michael, that's a 310 bull. You don't want to shoot a 310 bull with a 3C tag. Said, yeah. Just be and then when that bull showed up, it was 340-49, I think. When that bull showed up, I and I said, there's no way we're going to keep shooting this one. So. I learned more in a week of hunting with you guys, or maybe it was six days or something like that with you guys. I just ended up, um, I was just out there videoing them, and um, I hopped in with you guys and more, learned more in those six days about elk hunting, which 
I tell people really gave me my start of understanding when a bull is coming in, how to react, how sometimes the wind shifts, you got to slide over a little bit. I was always so um, thinking that you had to be so still, but I learned from you guys how, you know, you don't call until you're in the right position where the bull's going to come, where he's not going to slide downwind because he's always going to slide downwind and getting in the right spots. And um, so, I mean, I'm routinely telling people that in those five or six, seven days, whatever it was with you and Michael, um, learned a lot about uh, how to how to call in bulls, how to be in position. Because uh, I'll ask you a first question here: Don't you think a lot of a lot of it is actually knowing where to be before you make the call? Because they they need to be in the right spot, or you need to be in the right spot for them to actually come to you where you have a shot. Sure. I mean, if you can control the situation as best as you can you got to take advantage of it. you got to look around and say, okay, that looks really good right there. But sometimes you get caught with your pants down. Um, for those that have seen the video on YouTube with that bull that I shot uh, on the San Carlos, it was 452. Um, it's kind of interesting because guys made comments, rookie mistake, you know, the guy set up in the middle of a snag or whatever. We just got pinned down and we had to do what we had to do. And it wasn't a rookie mistake. It's just we had to make, you know, we had to try and make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? So, yeah. With that being said, Casey, you've killed seventy-four bulls with your bow and arrow, um, and some very big bulls. There's nobody on the planet that's killed as big an elk as you have, and and I would argue you've probably killed as many with a bow as anybody's ever dreamed of. Um, you still make mistakes probably every day. Talk a little bit about how no matter how much you learn, how much you do, you still, those animals still get the upper hand on you. If you're not learning, I mean, if, you, if you're not learning, you're not hunting, you're not paying attention. Uh, if The more time you spend in the woods, the more mistakes you're going to make. And the people that seem to move on and can finish those elk time and time again, those are the guys that learn from their mistakes. I've learned from a lot of my mistakes. And I'm still making mistakes, though, you know. For, for sure. Um I want to dive in and talk about elk hunting, but before we do that, for some of the people out there, and we've got a, a you know sixty some people that are sitting here uh, watching now. One of the beautiful mm-hmm. things about this is they can also go on. I'll post this on Instagram so they can watch it at a later date. Plus, I put the audio on my podcast. Um, yeah. There's probably some people out there that don't know you. Um, I, I feel like you're the you know, you've probably done more in the bow hunting world than anybody walking right now or in history, potentially. And a lot of people don't know you. You're from Washington. Um, talk about your start, like your very first when you started archery hunting. I want to kind of go back to the beginnings of your archery hunting career. And then I'll kind of pick away and ask you some questions because, I mean, you're a guy that's, you know, you've shot the archery super slam 29. You've shot you know, handfuls of, of big rams with your bow, you know, African animals, you name it. I mean, across the board, you've been all over the world, you know, eight or 10, 12 sheep. I mean, it's, it's, you know, uh, you know, you're a turkey nut, you're a waterfowl nut, you're a salmon fishing nut, you've shot bears of every kind, you know, and piles of them. Um, I want to go back to the very beginnings of the bow hunting and what made you a bow hunter. You know, it's, I was born in Portland, Oregon, and Portland back then was different than it is now. Um, I was raised in Portland. I remember as a kid shooting our recurves in the backyards, 
you know, we had backyard targets and we would shoot the recurves in the backyards every day. I'll never forget the first compound I shot. It was a, it was a bare polar LTD and it had all those pulleys all over it. And, and I shot in the backyard a lot. My dad took me to Heart Mountain in Oregon. It was a premium spot to go kill big mule deer. Um, and uh, dad, dad would take me to Heart Mountain when I was like five years old. And it was a bow hunt. If you didn't kill a deer back then with a bow, then you could pick up a rifle and you could go rifle hunting later, I, I believe. And uh, so um, we would hunt there year after year. I'd fish in the creek and dad would go bow hunting. And about 15 years old, I was so bit by the bug, we went over to a place called Walton Lake in, in uh, eastern Oregon and went deer hunting. And I just got bit. From then on, I was I was massively hooked. First first animal was a spike buck. The spike buck, and then there was a point there where you just literally put the rifle down. And ever since then, you've been hunting with a bow and arrow. And um, you know what's so fun about you know we've been friends for a long time is you're a bow hunter. You're going to hunt with the bow. I mean, you shoot waterfowl and stuff with a shotgun, but. You're shooting everything with a bow. You've been all over the world with a bow. You have, uh, you're not downplaying or holding it against anyone that rifle hunts. You just like to hunt with a bow. Talk about why, what makes it special being an archery only hunter, being a bow hunter. Well, for me, you know, in, in 1992, I had a Henry Mountains buffalo tag. I shot a buffalo that was quartering away, and the arrow slid down his side and lodged in his shoulder. I tracked him for three days, about seven miles. And the bull was headed for a national park. And so I picked up a rifle and shot it. And that was the last animal I shot with a rifle. Um, and I knew right then and there it just wasn't for me. Um, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want a crippled animal getting away. And so I finished him and it's history. It is what it is. I went to the freezer and, you know, I'd rather shot him with a bow for sure. Um, but I know for me, I'd rather shoot a spike buck than a 350 mule deer or a 600 elk. If I shot one with a rifle, you could cut it up and make knife handles out of it. For me, it just wouldn't mean anything. Anybody else, I'll leave it for those guys to shoot with a gun. It's cool if you like. Dad's sitting right next to me here. He loves to rifle hunt, you know? Yeah, but, for sure. Um, so, Casey, being, being you know that you've been all over the world and, and harvested all kinds of animals with your bow and arrow, is there one animal out there that you think archery wise bow hunting wise is probably the toughest animal out there to hunt yeah i think go spot and stop a spot and stock a coos deer i mean you would have to you'd have to agree with me on that i mean that's a tough animal especially a big one wouldn't you say yeah i mean they're so aware of everything around them they're so jumpy it's such a small target i mean is there any other animals that you hunted across the world, um, maybe in Africa or anything, that, that have that, you know, same elusive kind of mentality as a coos deer? Yeah, a lot of the animals in Africa are that way. I mean, if you get out and start walking around instead of sitting in a blind, they're wide awake. I mean, they're still very killable. I mean, but a lot of Africa is flat and open, and you're sliding in on a springbuck ram, you're trying to kill him, and he's got, you know, 50 other springbuck with it you know with him he's pretty tough to kill yeah for sure um the north american 29 is a heck of a feat and you completed that what seven eight ten years ago maybe 20 when 2012 2012 okay um that's a that's an, a heck of an accomplishment but 
from my perspective, having never pursued that, it seems like a real grind. It seems like, um, you know, potentially it's a grind and maybe take some of the fun out of it. I'm curious in your quest for the 29, was there ever a point where it was just like a complete grind and you just had to really push through it and, and talk about that a little bit? It wasn't fun. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hunts that you do on that that are really not up your alley. I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a big polar bear hunter. I'm not necessarily a big grizzly, but I, I don't especially like hunting things that want to eat me. So <laughs> you know, those kind of things. Um, I mean, I had to do a brown bear hunt twice, you know, two or three times, twice for sure. And we hadn't we hadn't killed a brown bear on like the 11th day and it was the 11th day or 12th day whatever it was it was in the middle of the night and it was still you know you know you got daylight for all except for maybe two hours or something and we would go out there and we had these baseball caps that had nets on and you pull the net down over your arms and and you're about getting carried away by the mosquitoes and the brown bears were, were sleeping on the edge of the creek and the bears are running up and down the creek in the dark right in front of you, you know, and looking back on it, it's really cool. Looking back on the polar bear, it's really cool, but 30 below, is just not fun. You know, Yeah. Uh, five days in a dog sled to go across resolute Bay to get to the other side. And then you, you know, and then you run down the other side and finally find a polar bear track. It looks like a good track. And, and, you know, the bear's standing there on an ice hole and you, and you, and you go after him with the dogs and, and uh, they're, hard to catch up with when they start moving they really can oh for sure out of out of those animals those 29 if if i probably know which one of them is one of your favorite but what are two or three of your favorites out of the 29 as far as animals in general maybe not specific hunts but which which one of those do you really like hunting the most well which one do you think i like the most probably elk and blacktail there you go that's two really good ones. Mule deer. I've kind of got off the blacktail thing uh, in the past maybe eight years or something. It used to be I'd go out there and I'd shoot two or three bucks a year because you could draw, you know, a Willamette tag and then another, you know, 615 and 815 tag, and then you could hunt with your general tag. And the blacktail numbers are just not doing so well. So I kind of shifted to mule deer, and I love hunting deer. You know, I mean, I really do. It's – there's – Talk about a challenge. A deer of any kind, big whitetails. Good Lord, I've been schooled on big whitetails. Those guys that are killing those big whitetails back there, I take my hat off to America. I mean, <laughs> big bucks but like you, that. You have shot some, going back to blacktails, you've shot some really big blacktails um, over the years. I mean, a pile of big blacktails. Um, and you've shot some big mule deer as well. Sheep, I mean, it, we could go on and on. I want to talk about elk, uh, 74 elk with a bow. Um, I mean, early on, was there ever any thought that you would ever get to a place where you'd kill 74 elk, bull elk with a bow? No. You know, I was just going and doing what I love to do. I was fortunate enough to hunt a place that had a lot of elk on it, and it would take me, Jay, I'm not kidding you, it would take me 20 days to kill a bull on this ranch, and I would see 150 elk a day. Um, but I got a lot of interaction with the elk early, and that really taught me a lot about elk hunting. And uh, I can go back to that same ranch right now and shoot a six-point in two days. You know, I've got it figured out. I think that's a big – I've talked about it before on other podcasts, but having at-bats and having opportunities 
um, only makes you better. And I feel like, unfortunately, some of the guys that hunt the Western U.S. now with some of the way public land's all clogged up and they don't get very many opportunities. Whereas a guy like yourself, you know, you're you're in your mid 50s. I'm almost 50. Um, You know, you've had lots of opportunities and lots of at bats with different situations with, you know, how elk react. And I feel like maybe if you started now, you would have your hands full because the opportunities aren't maybe as good as when you when you started. Talk about how important it is to be able to learn those elk behavior and characteristics in order to, you know, become as good as you've become at calling elk. It's everything. I mean, being on big numbers of elk, I mean, it's just like going to school every day. Like I say, if you pay attention, you learn, you learn from your mistakes, uh, and then you apply those life lessons everywhere I go. And I'll tell you, things have changed a little bit, you know, um, the Winnehaw, for instance, I drew the Winnehaw this year in Oregon, which is, you know, one of the premium tags. Probably going to turn it back due to fire. Uh, the Winnehaw's burning up this year, so uh, I probably won't go. But the Winnehaw is not near as much fun as it used to be because the bulls love to tuck tail and run, you know. And the way you and I are, we like to call out because we like to call out and see them come in. We don't want to hear them bugle and run the other way. And it's the same with turkeys or anything else. So, it's unfortunate, but the elk are changing a little bit in a lot of places. They're not quite as wild as they were, you know, and, you know, when you could go out there and you could just hit a piece of pipe and, you know, whistle at them and they'd all answer and hear one to come walking in. And that still happens in places. But, for instance, Winnaha, I was there a couple of years ago. I was there, and in two weeks I called nine bulls into bow range. I left there for one day and went to a general unit in Oregon, and I called nine bulls in in one day in, or in a general unit that I was familiar with. So it just, it really, uh, it just depends, you know. But I, I like to apply everything, whether, whether, I don't even have to think about it. I mean, I, I've been there enough times that it kind of comes natural now, you know. Okay, I can feel that wind. I'm moving before I even think about what's going on. You know, you just, you can feel it. I don't have much hair left. That's mostly from hunting mule deer and and takes uh, <laughs> on those elk. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, so there's another Brooks. Uh, there's another Brooks that might uh, might give you a run for your money with uh, calling. Uh, your son Bo is an absolute phenomenal caller. From I I say he's the best animal caller in the world of of you know, waterfowl, geese. I mean, anything you can call, Bo Brooks can call him. He's, you know, he's placed very high in the World Elk Champion Calling Contest. He's won uh, duck and goose. I mean, he's absolutely unbelievable. Um, So I always tease you that maybe there's another Brooks in town uh, that's got your number. But I will add one thing. You have experience. Talk about that the fact that maybe Bo can make better sounds than you, but there's also something said to have had those at-bats, had those experiences that I think a lot of people don't really take into consideration of how important it is that maybe sometimes set up, maybe sometimes waiting to call is more important than the actual sound. While I agree sound is, you know, needs to be good, um, set up Timing. is everything. Timing. Timing is everything whether it's waterfowl you know 
deer, elk, anything, or moose, anything that you're calling, to me, timing is everything. I mean, if you hit the wrong sound at the wrong time, you can watch them turn and go the other direction. And I mean, you know, I've done it. Yeah, but I mean, it takes those times to make those sounds or make them at the wrong time with the wrong timing to, to it doesn't take long for you to go, okay, that didn't work. I'm not going to do that again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? The fun, it may work. It may not have worked that particular time, and it may work the next time. I mean, it just, you know, you just never know what's going to really happen. But when it comes to calling um, elk, we'll talk about elk here. Uh, would you say your strategy is, are you more of a bugler? Are you more of a cow caller? Where would you put yourself if you had to um, rank that or or put it in a category? By far both. I mean, I use everything. Cow calling, a lot of times, most of the time, I locate with a cow call, you know, which is really opposite of what most people do. I get up on a landing in the dark and stand up on a stump, and, and I start cow calling and listen for the bulls to all pipe off. And typically, uh, I won't start bugling until I get in their hip pocket. I'll cow call my way in, work my way in, and then when I get in tight, then I start letting him have it. And that bull just lights up like, hey, where did he come from? Would you say that, yeah, how many, what percentage of bulls want to play and what percentage don't? And I I know it probably varies on where you're at and what have you, but um, you're a very good bugler, unbelievable bugler. What's your what's your ratio if you can get in there? Let's say conditions are good. What's your ratio if he's going to come take a look? It depends where you're at for sure. Winnaha, I, I would say it's very poor. Um, maybe early in the season it might be better. I've just never been there real early. Um, you know, obviously San Carlos, White Mountain, you know, Unit 3C in the old days. Like when I was in 3C in 97, if I heard a bull, there was no question that if I walked over there, I could call him in, you know. I, I killed my bull in 3C on the third day I'd been in a car accident on the way, and I could barely walk. I, I, the guy from California decided to stop when we were passing somebody. He decided to stop in front of me, and I hit him and shot him out into a cow pasture. And he, he says, my car, are they going to be able to fix it? And it looked like an accordion, the back bumper. Was clear <laughs> in no, you, I said, you realize the left guard would be alive? I hit him with a 355 <laughs> miles an hour. Um, but I, uh, across the back of the seat, there's a lumbar support there. It's a piece of steel in a 97 Ford. And, uh, I snapped that it's fully welded on one side. I snapped it off with my lower back. And so when I got there, I was taking as much leave as I could take. And I was going to every bull that I could get to, but I could only go about a quarter mile from the truck. You know, I could hardly walk. And, uh, I think the bull that I called in was about the eighth or ninth bull. And that unit 3C bull came walking in, and I said, wow, look at those fronts. He's coming in. And he got past me a little bit where I couldn't shoot him on the right side. And he kind of smelled me. He knew something was wrong, and he took off to go. And I cow called, stopped him, and at 30 yards, I popped him. And it wasn't until then when I walked up to him, I didn't realize he had a 42-inch point on his left side, which is always yeah. nice. Yeah, that's always a nice addition to your score, isn't it? Absolutely. You bet. I'd rather be lucky than good. So, Casey, you've got 74 uh, bull up with a bow. You've got handfuls over 400. How many bulls over 400 gross have you killed? Eight. 
eight over four hundred. And your biggest um, biggest bull is what? Gross. Four fifty two gross. Four forty nine and seven gross. Four forty seven gross. Four forty gross. Four thirty nine and three eighths gross. And then I think there's a four twelve and seven eighths, and then a four oh one. Yeah, it's amazing. And on top of that, you've also hunted with your dad, who's there with you, Pat, who's a good friend of mine also. And mm-hmm. he shot a number of great big bulls, a bunch of which uh, you've been right there with him uh, and, and calling for him. Tell me what it's like to watch your dad shoot a big bull. Well, unbelievably, some of the bull- he's sleeping in the chair next to me. He's really into this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some of these bulls that he the ratings have my- gone really good, haven't they? <laughs> Some of these bulls that he's killed were my rejects, and I went back there. Uh, I was in White Mountain one day, and I called in a bull, and it came in. It was quartering towards me. I didn't like the shot, and I let him walk. Straight on, yes. Sideways, yes. But quartering towards me, I just wasn't comfortable with it. Let him walk. And then I went up the road a little ways, saw another bull, and went after him and called him in. And I passed him up 45 yards because there, there was a twig. I had an archery range on my property. It was a twig in the way, and I didn't want to ding him. Um, I called a bull in the next, that evening, later that evening, and I killed him. It was 386. And then I told dad, I says, I know there's two really big bulls. And so we went in there and we got in between where I had found those bulls and I called one of them in and it was uh, 424, dad killed him. And the other bull, Alan Hamberlin killed the next year. And he was, I think. 476 or 8 or something. I don't know. Was that the one with the giant fourth and fifth that were just big yeah. giant whale tails? Yeah. That's them, yeah. I told Dad when I got back, I said, Dad, you wouldn't believe this bull, you know. And it was in kind of a general area where the where the guides really didn't want to go. So. Um, I've, I've got some questions here. And then, guys, anybody listening, if you've got questions for Casey, just go ahead and post them up there, and then I'll scroll through them here in a second. Um, Casey, a few, a uh, few questions here. What's your early season calling strategy for elk? So early season, what's your calling strategy? Early season, it's a super important thing to be patient. So if you're going to call in a drainage and you know, there's elk there, I go in there and I sit down and I start cow calling and cow calling. And I throw out some light kind of quiet bugles, nothing huge. And I stay in one spot and I'm listening for any twig to pop. Or, or, or anything and I, I would give it at, at minimum a half hour uh in one spot because those bulls will come in silent on you um and it doesn't matter you know early in the season like that a lot of times if one shows up there's gonna be four or five bulls show up at the same time you know they're like hey what's going on over there and we got to go check it out so for me early season unless he's screaming and then of course i'm just going to walk right at him and close the gap and, and give him the pipe the- all we can, yeah, all we can do is just, you know, see what he's in the mood for, you know, and just go with it. <laughs> okay, next question. Do you prefer to uh, night bugle or glass and locate elk? So, in other words, like drive around and, and bugle at night, kind of locating pods of bulls, or do you like to glass to locate them? Uh, actually, neither. Um, I don't drive around at night anymore. I used to do that when I'd hunt a lot uh, in really heavy populated areas with people and the reason why i would do that drive around at night with your gps mark bulls um get them on your gps mark them and then go to the next one mark them and then at daylight you can just pick the one you want and you're there before anyone else is and you're you're part way to the bull before he, you know but i don't do that anymore uh i think i'm getting lazy 
And uh, I've, I've kind of been there and done that, and I like my sleep. So I run around, um, and I don't glass, typically don't glass bulls. I, I'm, I'm almost always with, with my ears is how I find my elk. And there are a few places where I go in their sagebrush, and, you know, I'm going to be hunting Nevada this year. I'm sure I'll be doing some glass in there looking for, you know, a big, big bull before I just go walking in on him. But um, mostly I, I locate bulls and then I go check every bull that I hear and then move on and then go find more bulls and then call more bulls in. And and I, I don't even care if they're five points. As long as they come in and they're bugling and playing the game, it's exciting to me, you know. So, yeah, for not, sure. They may or may not get shot. You never know what my mood is. You like you like playing with them. Um, question oh, yeah. here on Instagram, uh, elk broadheads, uh, are there any mechanicals that you will shoot? So no. tell us the broadhead, the broadhead that you do shoot, whether it's fixed or mechanical, and then will you shoot mechanical? Most people that know me know I used to shoot for Rocky Mountain. Uh, Randy Ulmer shot for Rocky Mountain at the same time. Randy called me one day and said, Case, have you tried the titanium yet? And I said, no. And he says, you got to try it. He says, I took it. They sent one to him. And he took it outside and shot it into a cinder block, and it held up. And so he called me and said, you got to get some of these heads and try them. He shot the 125s. I'm, I, I like the 100s myself. They're an inch and an eight. And they quit making them. Uh, Field Logic bought out Rocky Mountain, which Field Logic, I think, is raid, right? So I knew that that was going to be the end of that broadhead. So we bought 50 dozen of them. And I'm still doing good because Bo hasn't figured out where my stash is. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he hasn't figured out where my stash is. And, uh, I didn't have a tag for that fly, by the way, but I got him. So anyway, <laughs> this, uh, they quit making that head and everybody was dying for that head for the longest time. And a couple of years ago, um, true glow came out with a titanium X 100 and it's the same broadhead. It's a Rocky mountain titanium but it's an inch and three sixteenths instead of the old eight inch and an eight. So I honestly think it's better if you want to shoot 50 yards and under, it's going to leave a bigger hole. And yeah, I think fabulous. I mean, I haven't sent, had them send me some and I shot moose with them, elk, deer, all kinds of stuff. And so is my son. And expandable wise, I've just never been an expandable guy, Jay. I just, you know, they were never legal where I hunt in Oregon, Washington and Idaho. And, and, uh, now they're legal, and it's just – I just had such great success with titaniums. I just never changed. But I, I do see a place for them. You know, I, I shoot and, you know, hunting these public whitetails and such. They're very tricky, and if they were to jump the string, it would be nice to have a bigger hole in them for sure. Hey, Casey, we're getting a little bit of um, digitizing. Um, I don't know if anybody there if, – if, if they can hold off using the internet, uh, possibly it might um, stop that from digitizing on the uh, audio. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if anybody's there that you could yell at. <laughs> yeah, I yelled at her. She put it down. Okay. Um, bow setup. Uh, tell us about your bow setup Is it, and, and how much has it changed over the years? Well, in the beginning, you know, in the old days, I ran an archery shop in Oregon, and everybody back then in the 80s was shooting 80, 100 pounds, you know, and they were shooting overdraws and 2413s and 2213s, and they were shooting stuff to try and get their speed up to 240 feet per second. Well, bows have really changed through the years. Um, luckily for me, at this point, uh, 
I'm pulling 65 pounds. I shot everything in North America with 65 pounds. I've shot 10 moose with a bow, probably. Hang on. Hey, can't snore during my podcast, Dad. No. So, <laughs> 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 like to keep my hobby. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so. Um, that's anyway. right. 65 pounds. I shot everything in North so America. So 10, mo- 10 moose at 65 pounds? Yeah, full pass-throughs. You know, sharp broadhead, nice heavy arrow. I'm shooting, well, what I'd say is a nice arrow. It's 455 grains, 450. And then, uh, you know, it never fails. When you guys find what you're looking for, stick with it because they're going to discontinue it. Uh, the ACC 371 is the arrow that I shot by Easton forever, and they discontinued it. So, uh, I'm going to have to change arrows sooner or later. I've got enough to get me by for a little while. Uh, titaniums, I'm looking good there. And now that True Glow has those heads, um, you know, I think the True Glow Titanium X, I really probably should buy another 20 dozen of those or something because just luck of the draw, they just quit making it. Things get hard to get. Remember toilet paper last year? I mean, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Are you, you, you sound like, and I know you, so I know the answer to this question, but you sound like when you find something you like, you're not one of these guys to be tinkering with new stuff all the time and always trying something new. You're more of the, of the, um, of the school of, you know, find something that works that you like and, and just hone in on that and, and worry and focus about, focus on other things, uh, than being tinkering all the time where there's some bow hunters that are just constantly tinkering with all of their gear curious your thoughts of that someone who shot you know probably more animals than anybody walking um with a bow what are your thoughts about the guy that's just constantly tinkering with all kinds of stuff well he's just trying to find himself and he will you know what i mean um i i changed some things around when i was you know up and coming but i figured out what works for me and i'm shooting you know the hoyts and i'm shooting them at 65 pounds 29 inch draw same arrow and uh, I could set up one tomorrow. If Hoyt sent me one tomorrow, I would feel great about just going out and sighting it in and going hunting with it because I'm very familiar with the way those bows feel, uh, very familiar with, you know, the trajectory, everything about it. It's it's year to year I'm shooting a new bow, but they're very similar. Is it hard for you when you have, you know, get them dialed in? Is it hard for you to pick up the new bow? Um you know, you, you've shot for Hoyt forever, um, but I'm sure when you get one really dialed in and shot, you know, sometimes there'll be a year where you'll shoot 30, 40 animals and you're feeling good. Is it hard to go to the new bow the next year? Well, I wouldn't say 30 or 40, but I might see that many in a year. <laughs> and it's for me to go to <laughs> bull. I know I'll tell you. you what, I'll tell you what's hard. In Between deer, deer and all your animals. But. Randy Ulmer, um, he got after me because I had a bow that was so unbelievably dialed in. It was just a, it was like an extension of me, you know, it was perfect. And the new bows came out and I gave it to a friend and Randy says, never give them away until you get the new one dialed in. And once you get it the way you like it, then give the old one away, you know? So you just... I just had that one so fine-tuned. It was, you know, and like I say, I don't tinker with it much, but I happened to land everything where it needed to be when I set it up, and it really shot well. Um, but, you know, that's not going to make Got much a of a difference. Got a question here. 
Yeah, got a question here. Are you a fan of, of FMJ, Full Metal Jacket, or Carbon Shafted Arrows, and why? I'll tell you what, what I'm, I'm into, um, and that's the problem where I'm at right now. I like having some aluminum in the shaft that I'm shooting, um, and the ACC was, you know, an awesome arrow. They don't make it anymore. They make the AC Pro Competition, but they make the Pro Comp in a hunting arrow now. Um, and so it's going to be a smaller size on the outside. You know, it's going to be like a four millimeter, five millimeter. Um, and I like having that in case I nick something. I just full carbon. If you nick it, you just don't know what you're in for. And I like having that extra strength. You take an ACC and try and break it over your leg sometime. It, it hurts. You know, they, they were tough. Full metal jackets, great arrow. You know, and it is aluminum and Got a question here. What was uh, Casey's most memorable and impactful hunts from the Super Slam? Oh, you know, I get asked this question a lot. One of the one of the animals was a black-tailed deer that I shot. Um, I had two years of photos of this deer. I had two daylight photos in two years of that deer. Um, most people that are listening to the podcast won't even understand what a, a big black tail really is. Uh, this buck grossed 159 inches. He was not a bench leg. He wasn't a cross between a mule deer and a black tail. And a 159-inch buck is enormous. It's a really big, big buck. And when I found him, uh, I figured I was going to spend like 90 days trying to kill him. I, I, I was going to dedicate my whole fall to killing that deer. And I think I killed him about the 15th day into the season. I was on the ground, and I shot the buck at 10 yards. And I no sooner shot him. And my phone rang, started vibrating. I picked it up. It was Randy Ulmer. And Randy said, what are you doing? I said, Randy, I just shot the buck. And and he says, well, I'm not going to take it away from you. He says, go enjoy it. And I walked up to him, and there he was laying there. And after two years, it was pretty pretty satisfying. Oh, for sure. So the Super Slam from start to finish, um, how long did it take you? Uh, my first animal would have been in 1992. That would have been a caribou and a black bear from Alaska. And I really didn't have any dreams of shooting the Super Slam. And Darren Collins um, shot a Super Slam. He was number seventh guy to do it. And uh, I had, you know, my bad back. And, you know, just I wasn't sure if I could get the sheep done and the goats and, you know, things like that. And I finally just put my mind to it. I says, I can do it. I just got to go at my own pace. And uh, 92, and I finished up with a brown bear in 2012. Got a question here. I know there are big bulls in an area I hunt in Idaho. How do I find them? Casey, I know you've hunted in Idaho. Um, mm -hmm. He's wanting to know how to find those big bulls. He knows they're there. How does he find them? Great way to find them would be to give me the unit and the location. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go find them. Uh, <laughs> you know, Idaho, there's a lot of open country. So one thing I like about Idaho is, you know, it's open sagebrush and then little pockets of timber and some of those places you can get Newton glass and you can see those bulls in the first thing in the morning and a lot of times in the evening when they come out of the timber to feed. That's a great way to find a huge bull. You know, when you do find him, just slide in there and just talk to him. He should come walking right out of that pocket. Either talk nice or talk dirty, right? Whatever works. 
<laughs> um, Casey, I'm kind of paraphrasing a question here, but um, you're a, a farmer in Washington, and you guys farm up there a lot. And um, do you ever run into a situation where your farming is leading right up into elk season? And how do you handle kind of all summer long farming and then having to put a, a stop button on it to start your hunting? And or have you had some years where you had to farm you know, and get get the stuff done before um, before you took off for elk season. That's pretty simple for me, um, and it is. You're talking about that. It's happening right now. My first elk hunt starts in Idaho, uh, and wait a minute, it starts in Nevada. I think on the 25th, one or the other. I think it's 25th in Nevada. Um, and I'm working here. I'm here right now on the farm. I'm not at home. I'm up here in Goldendale on my sister's, and my dad's place, and in three days my trailer is going to leave out of the driveway and I'm not going to come back for six months. So that's just the way it is. When it's time to go, it's time to go. So I'll go home. I'll pull everything at home. I'll probably go salmon fishing for a couple of days to unwind a little bit and see if I can argue with somebody in the boat next to me. Cause it's super crowded where I like to go. And <laughs> it's nothing like what you do, Jay, you should come do it sometime. It's combat fishing. But anyway, I'll go down there and go fishing. For <laughs> and then, uh, and then we'll start loading everything up and and start hitting it. Once I start going, I won't I won't stop. And uh, I did stop. Got a, a question here. What's your? You there? There you are. Yeah. I did I did stop a couple of years ago in October. I planted a field. I came home and I planted a field. I actually had a sheep tag, and I planted a field. Uh, you got to have your grass in by October 15th where we're at. It's a good idea to have it in. And I had a sheep tag, and my wife was asking me, what in the heck are you doing here? You've got a sheep tag. Why are you here? You know, I says, well, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I'm getting a little more responsible. I don't, I don't want to think that, but maybe that's the case. <laughs> or maybe there was a big deer in the field or something. Maybe that had something to do with it. Oh, yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Got a question here. What's your favorite bugle tube of choice? I don't. I can't answer that because it's from the '80s, and I don't know what the name of it was. But the Deep Timber Sounds Elk Call is the elk call that I use. It's a Deep Timber Sounds. It's a uh, very difficult call for me for most to blow, and you got to cut your reeds yourself. Um, but it, the, the sound that I get out of it, I really like. I'm not as talented as my son is with the diaphragm. Not even close. And uh, if I was, I'd probably do what he's doing, you know, and I'd use the power call stuff that he uses, you know. But uh, the tube, uh, the tube is just obsolete. It's like a piece of garden. It's like a like a garden. It's not a garden. It's like a, a swimming pool hose that they used to use in the old days and they cut them off. Skinny. And put a, yeah, skinny. Yeah. I, I like it because it's flexible and it just rolls around. The stuff that you see at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation at these tournaments and stuff like that, you know, the world calling competitions, those big, long, long, long things, wiffle bats. I don't carry any of that kind of stuff. I don't need it, you know, for what I'm doing. Um, it's just awkward. And when a bull's coming in, this thing molds around my body and I can just throw it up, make a sound, and then it just goes right back there and it's not in the way for me to spew Wouldn't you say, too, the, I mean, I've tried to blow that call. You've cut different mouthpieces and, and 
you know, it's very difficult. I can usually blow most calls and it's very difficult. But wouldn't you say having the background in waterfowl calling that you have also allows you to be really good at blowing that call? Because, it, you know, it there's something about it. It seems like, um, you know, Bo blows it good, you blow it good. I mean, waterfowlers um, seem to blow that call really well. It's hard to say, you know, at one time I had a little call company and that was when Bo was born. We actually had to leave the, the sportsman show from selling calls to go to the hospital when, when Bo was born in 97. Um, I just know how to play with calls to get the sound that I'm looking for. Um, whether I can perfect it or not, that's a different story. I mean, you know, like I say, diaphragm, if I could blow a diaphragm half as good as Bo can, I'd be extremely happy. Uh, got a question here. Better to use calls early season pre-rut or go in silently, glass, locate the elk first, and then stock? 74 bull with bow and arrow. I have shot one out of a tree stand that I didn't call in. I think the rest of them are all call-ins. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever spot and stalked an elk and just slipped, slipped in and popped him. I, oh, no, there is one. He was raking a tree. I slid in on a bull that was raking a tree one time. But other than that, um, yeah. almost all I'm, I, I call them in, yeah. I let them come to me. And and I'd like to point out, too, you know, duck and, and geese, uh, duck and goose uh, calling and calling blacktails, you pretty – and calling turkeys – um, people don't know, but I mean, you take, you know, 60 days off for turkey season, the same for waterfowl, like you go all the time and you're constantly calling. Wouldn't you say, I mean, other than sheep, like your draw to hunting is your interaction with the animal, um, by, by noise, by calling. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what it's all about yeah. for me. I feel like I'm more in control of the situation if I bring whatever it is I'm calling to me. You know, I just feel like it's just a much better opportunity. I should do that. Go ahead. Um, but isn't it more, too, than having control? It's enjoying having either that turkey come in full strut goblin or, or having those, you know, ducks coming in, cupping their wings or those those geese coming in. Um, it's it's about interacting with them, turning them and having them come, and you know that they're coming in. It's It's the thrill of that, right? You're, you're in your mid-50s. I mean, are you every bit as fired up about that now as you were the first day, or is there any part of that that's waning? Oh, no. No, I'll take it to my grave, I'm sure. Yeah, I get excited when any of them come in. I shot a bull, oh, probably five, six, seven years ago. I don't know. I hurt my back pretty bad working during the summer, and I was going through some pretty good physical therapy to try and just get healed up, and I couldn't, once again, I couldn't walk very far, and Pretty much was going to shoot in Oregon. I was going to shoot whatever bull came walking in. And I started calling, and this five-point bull starts answering early in the season. And he hung up on me. It's a five-point bull, Jay. This thing would score about 210. <laughs> and he hung up out there. And it took about a half hour to get him that last 80 yards. And I shot him. Giant body bull. Just didn't have much of a rack. And uh, I was actually shaking like I'd shot a 450 bull. So... You that's know. the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the sport. That's that's what we love. I mean, I know you. You're like me on turkeys. You're every bit as fired up about killing. You know, you may kill 10, 10 turkeys a year, but you're as fired up about that bird coming in as maybe some big giant bull elk that you've killed. Um, and maybe the, 
the duck comes in, you're hunting with your son or hunting with your dad or something, you're just excited to be out there in the duck blind calling and, and doing that stuff. Um, got a question here. Are there any tribal archery elk hunts that you are doing this fall? No. Uh-uh. No. Nope. Um, I've got the I've got the Idaho Super Raffle elk tag. I got lucky and drew that. And I have a Nevada tag. And I have the Winnaha tag. And like I say, I believe I'm going to probably elect to turn the Winnaha back in because it it's really burning up bad. It's going to be a rough year for the bow hunters in Oregon this year, probably in Washington as well. Got a question here. Where is your farm? Um, my farm is on the west side of Washington in the center. And then my father's farm, my sister's farm, where I'm sitting right now, is in Goldendale, Washington. Got a question here. How do you find that video on YouTube, the San Carlos Bowl? I think I saw last night that Bo was going to start you a YouTube channel, and you're going to maybe post some of these videos up. But um, guys, mm-hmm. also go on Casey's um, Instagram page and make sure to follow because he's posting videos there. But I think you're starting a YouTube channel as well, right? To post because you've got unbelievable videos of all kinds of animals. I've seen them; it's unbelievable. On your phone, you're like, "Hey, look at this! Look at this! Look at this!" Well, and the problem is, some of the stuff it's really big stuff, but it looks like Michael J. Fox was my photographer, so it's not gonna, you know, <laughs> it's not gonna look too good. I, I I'll apologize in advance for the shakiness. I'm not kidding. <laughs> But, but, you know, my cameraman a lot of times is my, my guide that was required to be with me, and he's just as nervous about the bull coming in as I am, you know, and, and he's just not wanting to scare it off. But that big bull that he's talking about is on, on if you look up Casey Brooks Archery on YouTube, um, that video will pop up. Or Casey Brooks Elk, I, I would say it would pop up. So just look under Casey Brooks Elk under YouTube. And... You know, there's going to be some comments on there. You probably see them. Oh, it's a high fence bull. I can promise you, there's nothing high fence about anything that I'm doing. Uh, it's a free range bull. Those three three strand fences that you see in the video, uh, those are for keeping cattle in. And those elk walk across those things all, every day, in and out. They they go off the res. They go onto the public land and then back again. I shot that bull uh, not very far from public land. I'm sure that bull had spent time on public land at some point in time. He's wild. He's worth watching the video. Got a question for you. Advice for first-time moose hunter going to Alaska in September. You've shot eight or ten moose or maybe more. I don't know. That's a guess. Um, you, so you have a leg to stand on when it comes to moose hunting. What recommendations do you have? Well, first thing I would say is if you're going to Alaska, make sure that you get every single ounce of meat if you're going to work on your moose that you can get because they're real sticklers on that. And uh, the moose, uh, it depends on when you're going. I think you're going to go during the rut. If you're going to go to Alaska, it's going to pretty much be in the rut. Um, I, I just wait till he turns sideways and let him have it. You know, he, they're just like shooting an elk. So if you shot an elk, not a big deal. Moose are really tall. But they're kind of like a panfish. You know, they're, they're kind of thin the other way. So they're, no big deal. Penetration shouldn't be an issue if you're having, you know, if you've got a good elk set up. You'll be just fine with what you've got uh, for elk to shoot a moose with it. Casey, um, question on, uh, I'm a follow-up question to his. He'll be there in September. Um, When you go on your moose hunts, are you wearing waders a lot of the time? Or what are you wearing, you know, because a lot of times you're hunting, it's very, very wet. Or are you just wearing rain pants? You know, um, 
moose hunting can be that way. You know, it can be really, you got to go through a bog after bog after bog after bog. So hunting woodland caribou, we, you kind of want to wear waders. Uh, brown bear, you wear waders. Sometimes for moose, you'll hunt waders. The best thing that i found if you're in one of those real swampy areas is Sims makes uh, fly fishing waders. Uh, we wore them this year on our brown bear hunt. They're fantastic. They're real tight to you, lightweight. And then you get the boots that go over. You want to get the boot the boots that go over. You don't want the boots to be in your waders. You want them to you know pull them on and then and then right. suck them up. That's just just like just like if you were going fly fishing, you have the boots on the outside. Get the sim Sims boots or get get a boot that fits outside of the waiter, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And, and and that's the best way to stay dry. Well, the last thing you want is a 65 inch moose grunting at you. And all you have to do is cross a little beaver trail to get over there, but you got to go swimming to do it. If you could just walk across there with your waders on, that's, that's a really nice thing. And those things don't weigh enough to, to worry about weight wise. You know, you can throw them in your bag if you use them. Great. Um, there's another product out of Alaska it's like a pair of hip boots that go wiggy over waders. Boots. W- wig, I think they're called wiggy waders. Yeah, they go over and your they, boot. They go over on. the top. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those would be okay too. You know, they're a little heavier. You know, a little little different deal, but they 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 work great. I shot a bull. Uh, I shot my one of my first moose. I think was in Wyoming. I had a public land tag. I drew and I walked five miles back in there where this moose was, and I crossed the creek like five times. To get to where this moose was and i was having to take my shoes off put them back on and then i'd walk 60 yards and the dang creek would have switched back or the river and i had to cross it again you know and it, if i had those things all i had to do was just pull them on and just keep on walking it would have really sped things up tremendously you've already talked about some of the elk tags that you have this year um, is there anything this year or in the future years, any hunts in particular that you're really looking forward to other than elk? Is there, is there anything that, you know, maybe a box is left unchecked that you want to go and, and pursue more or anything got you fired up right now? Yeah, I'll tell you what's got me fired up. Probably more than anything, the best hunt that I think that I've, one of the very best hunts I've had, one of the best times I had, I shot a five-point bull that scored about 300 inches a couple of years ago in Nevada. And my wife was with me on the hunt, and we just had a blast. So I'm looking forward to She didn't realize it. She's probably listening now, but, honey, you're going on that hunt. Uh, <laughs> you know, we just had a great time. She'd stand there next to me with her cell phone, and she'd video these bulls walking into five yards or ten yards screaming. And, and I mean, it was, just, it was just a great time. And, of course, the payback is if she comes with me and spends the time with me, then I'm going to come help her. So... You know, of course, I'll look forward to I'm usually at her side. Last year, she shot a bull. It was her biggest bull ever. Uh, it was 315, I think. And, uh, of course, and she, it... She, she and your sister have shot um, bulls and hunt archery okay. together, the two of them. They hunt solo. They, I mean, you come from a okay. family that of all all of you guys hunt. Well, I'm in, her, I'm in Tana's house right now, and if you look kind of over my shoulder, there's a... 204 mule deer she says 206 gets bigger <laughs> you know and there's another mule deer over there it's a pretty nice one there's a couple elk up here um so yeah she loves to get after it i remember years ago when dad and i were at white mountain hunting elk um the people were so kind at white mountain they drove 70 miles clear up to maverick camp and they put a piece of paper down for us it was for mr brooks it was for dad and i and uh 
it was a photocopied picture of a bull that my sister and my wife had killed on their own. It was a six-point bull. And uh, I'm not sure who was pregnant. My sister was massively pregnant, and I think my wife was, was probably pregnant at the same time. I can't remember, but they were both out there doing the best they could. I think Tana might have been eight months pregnant or something, and here she is bow hunting and killing bulls. That's awesome. It's uh, great to see everybody in the family um, just having a passion for hunting. Um, as we get here kind of to, to the end, I want to ask you a couple questions. So for someone that literally has been all over the world with your bow and arrow and, and you know, hunted and harvested, you know, animals on pretty much every continent, um, Talk a little bit about, you know, your love for being a sportsman, whether it be hunting, whether it be fishing. Um, talk about that as far as, you know, is I mean, is it just something in your heart that, you know, like you said, till you go to the grave, you're going to be doing it? I mean, do you love it as much now as you always have? And just oh, yeah. talk about how when it's in your blood, it's in your blood. It is. I mean, it's, it's way in there. I mean, when you start going out with your dad when you're five years old, it kind of sticks with you or you get ran off. I mean, I've got one son that, you know, I took him out there and he's five years old and he's into computers and other things. He just, it's just, sure. he, doesn't, he doesn't mind hunting. He just doesn't like getting up. And he doesn't like freezing his behind off. That's all. So yeah. it's not for everybody. Um, for those that take to it, man, it's just, there's something about getting out and breathing the air. Uh, I'm, I'm not there to go on a trail ride. I'm not going out there to, you know, some people say, I don't care if I kill anything. I'm just here for a good time. And I, I'm not, that's not me. I'm, <laughs> I'm there. You I'm like there to, to shoot, like to shoot often. <laughs> I'm there to shoot. Yeah. I'm there to hunt and find something to it. And that's the challenge for me. If I don't get it, I'll go to the very end on some of the best tags in the world on deer and elk. I've had, and I'll go to the last second and I may not kill one, but that I gave it a try, you know, and, I've walked away from many, many 200-inch deer that I didn't get killed that, you know, taught me a horrible lesson all along the way uh, or a bunch of lessons. And all I do is smile and say, I'll try you again next year if I can get the tag. So, Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, the, the fun thing about it is, you know, you go hard whether you're fishing, you go hard whether you're um, hunting. Um, but I also love that Anytime, you know, we've hunted together a bunch, we've been around each other a bunch, you're always having a good time, you know. Um, I've been enjoying following you on Instagram, you know, you joking around with your eating your fudge bars and, you know, testing your, that's your coronavirus test and, well, yeah. and some of the different of things. Yeah, and I like, you know, you on your Instagram, it says uh, you enjoy short walks on the beach and Dairy Queen. <laughs> I do, you it, it know, just, I'm not that guy that's that's the you know poster child for fitness. I'm am just not. I'm 205 pounds, six foot six foot one, and I'm truthfully not in great shape. But I get it done. I go at my own pace. You don't have to be a weightlifter. You don't have to be you know in extremely good condition to go kill stuff. All you got to be is persistent and just you know not kill yourself doing it. I want to finish on one last question because I got several questions um, earlier on Instagram and it talks about kind of those final moments as a bow hunter. There's probably no one I could talk to that's harvested more animals than yourself as a bow hunter. Those last few seconds um, when you're in the moment, whether it be a moose or an elk or whatever it may be, 
Um, how do you get your mind right to execute time in and, t- you know, over and over and over? What's the secret? You know, I'll tell you one thing, that it, and in this really is going to sound weird, but it depends on the hunt. If it's really cold and, 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 and a big buck's coming in and it's really cold, my body, you know, I start getting excited and I start shaking. And one of the things that I've found, and it just seems ridiculous, and I don't know why that this works for me, but I take a big breath, and then I just start pushing on, you know, I take a big breath and I start pushing against myself with that big breath. And when I come out of that, a lot of times my nerves have calmed calmed down. And it works for me, and I can't even tell you why. Uh, Makes no sense whatsoever, but I know that, there's times where, you know, you're cold and you get excited and, and the more you shake and the more you try not to shake, the worse it gets, you know. But getting in the right frame of mind, I think that experience is what does that. Enough times being in that position, being in that position, being in that position, um, you know, you just, I think you get better. I think you get better with time. And it depends on the situation. Sometimes you, you, you give you fall apart even though you've been there a hundred times, you know. Uh, I do see one one Cody Newman did. Can you see that one that says Cody Newman? He asked how many trucks I stole yeah. in my hunting career. I think he stole <laughs> one truck in my hunting career, and it was his buddies. He, he left it running in a McDonald's parking lot. And so I jumped in it and started driving off. I drove by the window, and they came running out. What I didn't realize is Chris was packing. I didn't realize that he, he had a gun or I wouldn't have. But he, it was pretty funny. Well, that is funny. Um, Casey, I, I've um, enjoyed this hour with you, and I wanted to uh, thank you, not only you but your family. Um, anybody that knows the Brooks family knows how gracious you guys are and your I've been great friends for a long time, and it's um, one of those things that I'll cherish for a long time, being able to know all of you guys and um, how how nice you are to people. So I just want to thank you for your friendship. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate, you know, what is that, 6,000 listeners right now? Uh, I really appreciate all – oh, it's 40 listeners. But I appreciate all you guys listening. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm just a bow hunter like everybody else. I hunt some pretty good hunts, and I hunt some hunts that are not as good as others. Still do a lot of public land hunting. I still do some guided hunts. I prefer not to do the guided hunts uh, if I don't have to. I'm really kind of not an easy guy to guide. Uh, I'm kind of hard-headed, <laughs> and, and I know that. But I'm just a regular guy like everybody else. I just love to go hunting and love to shoot stuff. So I just wish everybody the best. I hope you all have a great season this year. Well, thanks for coming on. I know um, people will really get a kick out of this. I encourage everyone to make sure to follow Casey on Instagram. Um, You're a heck of a guy. Um, You've been a great friend for a long, long time. I look forward to the future years here. And, again, tell everyone there in the Brooks household hello, and um, we'll see you down the road, okay? Sounds good. I'm going to go back to work. You guys all have a great day. Go Go get a fudge sickle. I'm going to do that first. (laughs) see you buddy okay god bless take care guys i want to thank you for listening to this podcast if you want to send me a direct message you can do so on my instagram account which is at j scott outdoors 
You can also send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I appreciate all the feedback on the podcast, and I look forward to hearing from you. GoHunt.com Insider has Filtering 2.0, where you can get draw odds, strategy articles, specie and unit breakdowns, and unbelievable gear giveaways. Did you know that they actually have a point system where you get 11% back to the consumer for using points for every dollar spent? Also, uh, a new addition is the mapping, Go Hunt Maps. You have the desktop version, you have the mobile version for iOS and for Android users. There's never been a greater value for the Go Hunt Insider. Check them out at gohunt.com forward slash jscott.